The psalm before you has been a psalm of great comfort and encouragement for the people of God throughout the ages. It is said very often that this was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. It is said that he would often gather his companions to sing it when they were in the furnace of persecution for the sake of Christ. This psalm is about God being the refuge or shelter of His people. And it reminds us of that great text in Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. It is a psalm that is intended to calm the soul and comfort the heart in the midst of great uncertainty. It is intended to set the believer's mind on things above in order that they may overcome the things here below. And by the end of this psalm, it is intended that the reader's nerves will be calmed, their soul at ease, and their heart rejoicing that God is their refuge. And therefore, they will not fear. So whatever uncertainty you may be facing, or storm you may be weathering, I trust that the Spirit of God will use this psalm to bring you into the eye of the storm and enable you to be still and know that the Lord is God. I want to speak to you, therefore, from this psalm about our refuge. Our refuge. The first thing I want you to see from this psalm is that our refuge is God. Verse 1, our refuge is God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. If you miss this, then you will miss the focus of the entire psalm. This psalm starts here, it pauses here in verse 7, and it ends here in verse 11. So from beginning to middle to end, this is the focus. God is is our refuge. Immediately in this psalm, the reader is met with the reality that the sovereign, immortal, immutable, and only wise God is our refuge. Our refuge is not man, whose life is like a vapor that passeth away, but God, whose existence knows no beginning, whose power knows no bounds, and whose wisdom knows none superior. He is the one of whom it is said by Daniel, No man can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He is the one who holds our times in his hand. He is the one in control of our lot. He is our strength, the one who enables us to make it through whatever we face. And it would be appropriate here even at the very beginning of this psalm, to just pause where you sit and just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that the refuge of the believer is not limited to a tangible place on this earth, but is rather the infinite God of heaven, of whom Moses did write, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. This 
is where this psalm begins. This is where we need to focus our minds. Our refuge is God. The second thing I want you to see from this psalm, not only that our refuge is God, but that God is our refuge at all times. God is our refuge at all times. Verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And upon reading those verses, you should see that there is no time nor circumstance for those who belong to Christ when God is not their refuge. The Lord says that He is our refuge. He is a present help in times of trouble. Not a help afar off, but He's there. He is present in those times of trouble or distress. And the reality that God is our present refuge is the basis for what the psalmist says in verse 2 for why he will not fear. Why there is this resolve to not fear in the face of the scariest scenes of seeming chaos. In verses 2 and 3, this scene that is being depicted by this language is, is one of utter helplessness. I mean, look at the language. The earth being removed... The mountains being carried into the midst of the sea. The waters roaring and raging and being troubled. It's painting this scene where the believer is utterly helpless in themselves. And that is the point. That even in those times, God is our refuge. Those times when it appears that Everything is out of control. And we are absolutely helpless. God is our refuge. He's our refuge in those times when no one else can be. When no one else can understand what you might be going through. What you might be facing. God is still your refuge. And so we have to remember this. When you are looking at situations in your life or in the life of the church that seem to be chaotic and disastrous and you just can't figure out what is going on and you scratch your head wondering how is this all going to work out? In the midst of seeming chaos when you feel like your feet are slipping out from under you you can't seem to find anything to hang on to. When the waves are crashing over your head, God is still your refuge at all times. That is the second thing I want you to see from this psalm. The third thing I want you to see from this psalm is that God is our refuge against all enemies. Not only is He our refuge, and not only is He our refuge at all times, He is our refuge against all enemies. Verses 4 through 7. We're told here in contrast to the raging oceans of verses 2 and 3, 
Verse 4 begins with the picture of God providing His city with a peaceful river of divine blessing that makes His people glad. This imagery here in verse 4 is intended to point the reader to God's caring ownership of the city that is His. Notice the language. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. It is the city of God, the holy place where God is tabernacling among His people. The city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And does that in this psalm not point us to Christ Himself, of whom it is said that the Word became flesh, literally tabernacled, came and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. It is He, that is Christ, who is the God who is dwelling in the midst of His people, dwelling among us as their King, as the protector from enemies within and without, foreign and domestic, physical and spiritual. It is the same truth that He expressed to His disciples when He gave them the Great Commission. He says in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I am with you always. That is the truth of what is expressed in verse 4 and verse 5. God is in the midst of her. And because God is in the midst of her, because Christ dwells in the midst of His people, they will not be moved. And so, when you feel like nobody else is with you, Christ is with you. And there is no enemy that is outside of His sovereign control. And God gives us His word in verse 5, that His people shall never be moved. He says that they will have His help readily available. That's the sense of that there, that God shall help her in that right early. Perhaps you have a marginal reading that lets us know that is when the morning appeareth. And that is the idea of that. That it is help that is readily available. From the beginning of the day, this help is available. From the earliest hours that you would need this help, it is there for you. God constantly in the midst of His people, dwelling among them, ready to help them. God shall help her and that right early. Though the heathen rage and the kingdoms of the earth are moved against the Lord's people, a mere utterance. Let it sink in. A mere utterance from the Almighty will utterly destroy all the hostility. So that's why we're given this picture in verses 4 and 5 of God being in the midst of this, this city that shall not be moved. Because in verse 6, we're told the heathen are raging. The kingdoms are moving. And they're raging and moving against the Lord and against His people. And God knows that their plans and intentions are for the evil of His people. He knows that they're coming to attack His people. And it's this same truth that Christ Himself, when He confronted the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, when He was still Saul of Tarsus, and he says to him, even though Paul had been persecuting Christians, he says to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord was identifying with His people and the suffering that they were facing from the hands 
of Saul. And this is the same truth that we find here in this psalm, that God is in the midst, dwelling among His people, and He will defend His city from the raging heathen and the kingdoms that are moved against His people. Note the repetition in verse 7. The same truth is repeated that was said in verse 1. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. But now there's been an addition that this is not only God Almighty, but this is the Lord of hosts. This is the God of Jacob. He is the sovereign over all armies. He is the Lord of everything. And so these heathen that are raging and these kingdoms that are moved against the people, He's over them. He's the Lord of hosts. And it's so fitting that we read something from the life of Jacob. Because when you read this title, the God of Jacob, you remember all these feats and and these events of Jacob's life that the Lord brought him through. And the fear that was coming over Jacob's heart as he was about to face Esau. And he had nowhere to go, nowhere to hide, no one to turn to but God Himself. And that is what he did. And so when you read the God of Jacob, you remember that He's a God in whom refuge is to be found at all times against all enemies. This repetition is to assure the reader of the Lord's complete power over all foes, actual and potential. That's the third thing I want you to see from this psalm. The fourth thing I want you to see from this psalm is that God is our refuge because He is God. Verses 8 through 11. God is our refuge because He is God. You see, the psalmist in verse 8 has anticipated an objection. He's anticipated this objection from the reader. And so he begins verse 8 by inviting the reader to come. Come and behold the works of the Lord. It is as if the psalmist said, If you doubt the ability of the Lord to be your refuge, then come and view the Lord's resume as if He needed one. He says, come and behold the works of the Lord. Because all along you're reading here of these these wonderful statements about God being in the midst of His people, being our refuge. And yet, there's that underlying unbelief that so easily enters into our hearts. And so the psalmist anticipating that says, well, come. Come behold the works of the Lord. He is the sovereign King of the universe. And so I want us to behold just one of those works. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, we'll begin reading from verse 8. It says there in Exodus 14, 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihaharoth before Baal-zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now let that scene sink in, and try to place yourself there. I mean, this is... Can you, can you even imagine... It's hard to imagine being an Israelite. And you're in verse 9. The Egyptians are going to pursue after you all their horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, all his horsemen, all his army, and they're coming right at you. And you lift up your eyes and you behold them coming at you. Can you imagine being a father, being a mother, having your child next to you? And you just see this Egyptian host rushing after you. It says that they were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. And they begin to question whether the Lord is going to deliver them. And you add on top of that what we didn't take time to read from verses from verse two, that the Lord was the one that told them. He says in verse 1 of chapter 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihaharoth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So now, the Lord is the one who sent them there. The Lord put them right in this place, with the Red Sea at their back, and nothing but this Egyptian host coming right at them. Put yourself there. And what does the Lord say to them? <laughs> Fear ye not. Stand still. That is hardly a time where you or I would think standing still is a good idea right now. This army's rushing after you and the Lord says, Fear ye not. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. And you know how the story ends, I trust. The Lord is their refuge. The Lord parts the Red Sea. The Lord does the impossible. The Lord brings them through. 
And there's a barrier between them and the Egyptians. And when they get to the other side and the Red Sea is closed, they see the Egyptians washing up on the shore. Their enemies dead. The Lord brought them through the waters of deliverance. The Lord was their refuge. And this is just one. This is just one example. But you survey your Bible and you will find example after example of God being the refuge of His blood-bought people. God is the one who is always in control. If you'll turn back to Psalm 46. He is the one who's always in control. He even sovereignly puts us in places that are difficult to grow us in our faith, to sanctify us and help us to realize that He is our refuge. And so He is the one that is always in control. And as we go on in verses 8 through 11, we see that He makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth, that He breaks the bows, cuts the spears, and burns the chariots of His enemies. And see, what that's really pointing to is that all of our enemies, all their instruments of warfare that symbolize their power are as nothing before Him. He is God Almighty. They are mere creatures. And how dare we, for one moment, because of unbelief, think that He is not able to be our refuge against them. But that's why He has given us this psalm. Because He knows our frame and He knows how weak we are. And He knows that we will struggle in these times. And that is why the command comes in the midst of the temptation to be afraid and run and hide. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And that that is not just a, a command to know a fact. That word there, to know, be still and know that I am God, it is the idea of an intimate knowledge. It's not a mere factual knowledge, but an intimate knowledge of this truth. It is a command to be intimately acquainted with this. The fact that He is God and all that that entails. And so you, you comb through your Bible and you read all the statements about our gracious, almighty, and glorious God who is the Redeemer of His people, who is able to deliver out of any circumstance that you can ever face. That is what this command is about. To be still and be intimately acquainted with with this, our God. To know that He will exalt Himself among the heathen. That they will never gain the upper hand. And even though we may look around and we may think, well, things are getting bad, they really seem to have the upper hand here. No. Never. They will never get the better of God Almighty. 
he will be exalted among the heathen and in the earth. He will rise above it all and he will subdue every nation to himself. And again, for our assurance, the Spirit of God repeats himself in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. But the question still remains. You, you read this psalm and we've gone through these verses and the question still remains, how do I take refuge in God? How do I take refuge in God? There are three things that I want to leave with you. Three ways that you take refuge in God. And they're very simple. The first is that you take refuge in God by faith. You take refuge in God by faith. And this psalm just gives us abundance of things to have faith in. Right? You take refuge in God by faith. You take refuge by faith in what God has said. By faith in what God has said. You have to believe. This may not be, seem very profound, but it's, it needs to be stated that you have to believe what this psalm says. Because God has said in verses 1, 7, and 11 that He is our refuge. And that twice He is the Lord of hosts. Why do you think He does that? I mean, you think He just stated it the first time, you think it'd be enough. But no, He knows that, that we're going to miss it. That's why He states it over and over again, this repetition. It's like the first time, this is, this is the reality. Second time, in case you missed it the first time. And now here the third time, in case you missed it the second time. I am your refuge. How many times do we have to hear it? And yet He's so gracious to give us three times. I am your refuge. Not to mention all the other times in Scripture that He says it. And twice, the Lord of hosts. We take refuge in God by faith in what God has said. We take refuge in God by faith in what God has done and is doing. That's the point of verse 8. That's the takeaway. Come and behold the works of the Lord. You look back. You look back in Scripture and you look back in your life and you see what God has done. And it gives you greater faith for what God will do. What He is doing. What He's able to always do. By faith in who God is. That's the point. That's the takeaway from verse 10. By faith in who God is. And I know that there are times that it is so hard, but we have to always come back when we're in situations and we begin to question the Lord. To some degree, it is a failure to exercise faith in who He is. And so we say, with the man who needed his daughter healed, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. So we take refuge in God by faith. The second way we take refuge in God is by fellowship. By fellowship. By fellowship with God's people. And this, I think, has been underestimated in our generation. But if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians... Chapter 1, I want to show you here what I mean by taking refuge in God by fellowship. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because the Lord reveals something to us here 
in 2 Corinthians 1 that we, we should not take lightly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, blessed be, the, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Don't miss it that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. We must never lose sight of that as God's people. That God actually uses means to grant us comfort in this pilgrim journey that we're on. That He is our refuge in and of Himself, yes. He is our refuge when no one else can be, yes. He's always our refuge. But the Lord uses His people to comfort one another with the comfort that they themselves have received from Him. And so we take refuge in God by fellowshipping with God's people. And is that not a part of why we've been commanded to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? And this is crucial. And so it is by faith. It is by fellowship with the Lord's people. And thirdly, it is taking refuge in God by prayer. Taking refuge in God by prayer. And this is the chief means, the word and prayer that He has ordained to take refuge in Him. You take refuge in God by prayer because wherever you are and whatever you're going through, you can always seek the Lord. You can always pray. And so in light of this psalm, what should we pray? I will just want to leave some things with you as you go through this psalm. Maybe you even go through this psalm this week. And these are things that you can bring before the Lord from this psalm. So we come to this psalm, we come to verse 1 and 5, and we, we want to pray that God would prove this Word. He says He's our refuge. He, he says that this city that He dwells in the midst of shall not be moved. We want to pray that God would prove or reprove His Word to us or to others. And surely you know people that need God to prove His Word to them. Surely you know people that are going through these trials and through these afflictions and they need to be assured by God that He is their refuge. And so we pray that God would prove or reprove His Word to us. We need to pray that God would protect His church from the enemies within and without. There are enemies all around us, as most of you well know. And we need to pray that God would do what He has said that He would do in His Word. Protect us from enemies within and without and give us the boldness to advance His Gospel. We need to pray that God would help us to be still in the midst of turmoil and focus our thoughts upon Him and His sovereignty. And we need to pray that God would verify His Word and exalt Himself above the heathen through the preaching of the Gospel. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth.
I want to close with the words of a hymn from Augustus Top Lady. It so encapsulates the message of this psalm. A sovereign protector I have. Unseen, yet forever at hand. Unchangeably faithful to save. Almighty to rule and command. He smiles and my comforts abound. His grace as the dew shall descend. And walls of salvation surround. The soul He delights to defend. Praise His name and glory to God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee and praise Thee for Thy goodness in being our refuge and giving us such portions of Scripture as this to remind us over and over and over again that You are here. You are with us through every trial and every affliction that Thy people may face. And we thank Thee for every portion of Your Word that we can go to and see how You've brought others through harsher waters and that You will be faithful to carry us through the same. We thank Thee, O God, that we can take refuge in Thee because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee that as we are found in Him, we are found as those whom God cares for and those who can take refuge in Thee. O Lord, be with us now as we sing Your praise and as this service comes to a close. In Jesus' name, Amen.